This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 528 for October 5th, 2016. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld. And joining me, as she is nearly every week, is Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Hi, Glenn. How are you? Uh, You're making think, me feel guilty on the weeks I can't be here. Yeah, what's going on with that? Let's, let's, let's still at vacation. I'm a working mother. Sometimes I have to pass you off to babysitters. So vacation, babysitters, <laughs> uh, you know, other events that happen sometimes, like Google yeah. events. The Recordings. big Google event happened. We're we have a small team. Let me tell you how the the tech sausage is made a little bit. Love we have to hear this. Um, so PC World, Mac World, and our Android site Greenbot, and our smart home site TechHive, are all you know one happy family, and we share CMS. We can cross post each other's content, and when big events happen, like the Apple event that happened in September, or the Google event that happened this week, we are all one unit, and we're pushing together um, towards the prize. So I was uh, playing traffic cop, as they call it, assigning uh, stories on the fly, editing things, posting during the Google hardware keynote yesterday, which was pretty fun. Um, you know, otherwise it, 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 it's hard to take that time and, and pay attention to what other companies are doing. And I think sometimes as Mac people, we can get kind of tunnel vision and just <laughs> pretend that there's only one tech company worth reading about, talking about, thinking about. So it was it was a fun fun time to cover, and I'm very proud of the work that our friends at PC World and Greenbot put out. Right on. I'll check out those sites as well. And I also uh, one of our colleagues uh, noted a some incredible shade that The Verge threw on the event. <laughs> uh, the, the headline is at The Verge is. Google announced an iPhone, a Gear VR, an Echo, and an Eero. And it's like, oh, I just threw them oh, on fire. I need some asbestos suit to snap. read that. Too. So, yeah, so let's, I mean, we're, you know, we, we posted a funny thing of slideshow of burns because they kept burning <laughs> Apple over and over again. Like, it wasn't really shade because it was so obvious. Like, shade technically should be a little subtle. And this was like, Headphone jack in your face. So yeah, we we made a fun slideshow. Eight times Google savagely burned Apple during the Pixel announcement, and I'm we just had a lot of fun putting that I together. Think, I think this is basically like it's not the end of open because Android's going to continue to be developed as an operating system. But it's basically we're in 2016. I think was it 2009 that the first Android phone shipped? I want to say, and yeah. uh, people can correct me if I'm wrong. But so we're uh, seven years into Google strategy. They made a deal. Uh, I think John Gruber pointed out on his blog. Uh, during Fireball, that uh, in 2010, uh, they had this huge push uh, from, I think it was Pinchall, about, you know, uh, open beats closed, and we have 60 different models out now, and now there's several hundred or thousand, depending on how you define uh, certified Android, non-certified. Uh, and their message was, we're going to be better than Apple because we're going to give people more choice of what they run and what kinds of devices are available. Now, seven years later, they're not saying all other devices suck, but they're saying, I mean, the message was we can't do the artificial intelligence stuff we want unless we have essentially not just a reference platform because their previous Google-branded phones were not exactly – I mean, there's a reference platform too. And they the were Nexus setting, phones, yeah. Yeah, they were setting and Google didn't make them themselves. Right, Samsung and was it, was it HTC? I forgot the other – It was maker, like LG, LG did LG, one yeah. and so, But those were, those were flagship phones remember. from Google that – that set the standard of what they thought a Google, an Android phone could be. And they also had referenced, you know, platforms and designs, things they gave to manufacturers, like these are the basic features and things. But this is like when Microsoft abandoned its strategy and said, oh, okay, we're going to make our own phones. And everyone's like, wait, you, you know, all the partners for years 
who had in, you know, invested in this platform said, but you said, it's like, nope, we're going to do our own thing. So you could say Apple's been more honest from the front by saying we're going to control the whole thing because it's the only way to improve phones as dramatically. And Google's kind of buying into that philosophy now that yeah. they need to control the whole ecosystem. And I don't think they're going to shut down Android. I don't think that that's going to happen at all. Oh, I no. think, I, But I think they're going to be pushing their own thing because they can't achieve the, you know, they're building in their assistant yeah. into hardware. Basically they need the hardware. Well, then they're going to license their assistant to right. hardware. Like I'll be able, if I was a hardware guy to like build a speaker that had Google assistant baked in. And I think that's super cool. Yeah. I think it's, a, and that makes it, it's a different kind of ecosystem thing and it's a little more insidious because then it starts creeping around the house and that's Google's strategy is to kind of own the home more, I think. Um, yeah. But so they made, so they released something that looks a lot like an iPhone, I gather, like an older iPhone. Um, and uh, they've also, they have a newer, uh, a, a VR headset that people were ooing and aahing about and uh, an Echo competitor. Um, and there's, I think there's still rumors that Apple's going to come up with something. Well, I don't think we've seen what that's going to be. And then some Wi-Fi base stations, which is confusing because Google last year came out with these on-hub base stations that were like mm -hmm. one base station will cover your entire house but you had to be near an Ethernet drop, and they had a lot of yeah. That was the problem. Yeah, and they had features. Not that everyone weren't... had a good Ethernet drop right in the middle of their house. And you had to put the thing up on top of something, and it also it had features that weren't enabled. There were like several kinds of things in it that weren't turned on that still aren't turned on. So you're paying a huge amount for that. These are basically like the Eero, the E E R O, which is a, a new router uh, company, where you just get a bunch of really cheap ones. It'll be 130 bucks for one, 300 dollars for three. They link each other up. You don't have to – you can use an app to control them. Is it kind of like mesh networking? That seems like it's the – I don't know if it's the, mesh. The jam now in, in, in networking. Saying, it's funny. People use mesh networking. There's a technical definition of it, and then there's like an informal one, and I don't know oh, yeah, which Oh, yeah. I'm probably is. using the informal one. But it could be. I mean, Apple ha includes a kind of mesh networking. A wireless distribution system, WDS, has been in the Apple base stations for many years. It was part of the original 802.11b uh, spec, but never – implemented in a testable way so you could use it between devices. So sometimes you could use it between devices, sometimes within devices from the same company, uh, but it was never as reliable as it needed to be. And I stopped advising people to connect uh, airport-based stations wirelessly a while ago because it just doesn't, you know, a cable works so much better. It's just so erratic. Um, this is a new approach, whatever the the secret sauce is inside that that could be better. But as you know, it's like if you have a house that's bigger than a pretty small size or you have two floors you know, or a basement or whatever, you wind up needing a couple of base stations. And if you can't run uh, Ethernet in your house or you can't use power line networking, which is an option now, it's become pretty cheap, you can plug into that, uh, then this is an idea. But it's funny. So there, so Google is recapitulating it's stuff other people for, make. Three for, um, 300. three for 300 and one for 130. And yeah. they say three can cover 3,000 to four, uh, 4,500 square uh, feet. So that's a pretty big house. I mean, that's like yeah. three times the size of my house. I think the lack of so configuration. I could probably do it with one. Yeah, and lack of configuration is the issue. Because uh, Airport Express is actually a very fine router, and it's uh, 99 bucks, yeah, and you can have to get it cheaper. Yeah, and that's great. So if you've got a small house and you don't I need have an Ethernet extreme ports. and an Express, and those together will get Wi-Fi to my house and most of my garage. We have, an old, <laughs> we have an older house, so we've got stuff in our walls. So that means we wind up with, we have three. We've got one upstairs that covers all of upstairs. We've got one near my desk downstairs uh, in the basement and then one in a guest room that's and so we have it all connected I had some ethernet run very very informally run ethernet not neatly conduited in the walls <laughs> and uh, 
but we got some plugs on our walls for them and that, that solved it. All right. That's our Google, but let's see. So we have a couple things we're going to talk about in this episode. Um, uh, we have, um, I recorded separately, uh, the iTunes guy, Kirk McElhern writes for Macworld about that. Me talking to him, drop, drop in that segment in a second later in the episode, Susie and I are going to go into some depth on the iPhone seven plus, which she just completed her comprehensive review of. And I recently uh, did a bunch of testing with the cameras and, uh, reported on that result for Macworld as well. So let's uh, let's go to uh, Kirk McElhern right now, and then we'll be back after that with iPhone 7 Plus. Joining me now is Kirk McElhern, who is the iTunes guy at Macworld. He's somebody who has delved deep into the uh, whirling maelstrom of Apple Music, iCloud Music Library, iTunes, and the like. Hello, Kirk. Welcome back. Hi, Glenn. Thanks for having me again. It's such a pleasure to have you because you have descended into madness and returned with um, a story, or, or 12, uh, about how this all works together. We've had a lot of ups and downs the last couple of years as Apple's added uh, new tools, subscription services, changed how iCloud Music Library worked, and now iOS 10, Mac OS Sierra, more changes. Kirk, are these changes better for users? Well, I'll give you an example. Um, I write the Ask the iTunes Guy column on Macworld, and, and this column runs every two weeks. And, and usually I get about a dozen emails every week. <clears throat> and these are questions about using iTunes, um, using the iOS music app. And since iOS 10 came out, I've gotten more than 100 emails every week. Oh, my gosh. So wow. while you might say that some of the changes are better, and I, and I would say that some of them are better, um, I think they're confusing a vast number of people. And, and many people are asking, you know, the same simple questions. And the last two Ask the iTunes Guy columns that I wrote dealt specifically with questions about the iOS 10 music app. Um, while Apple has tried to simplify the display, make less scrolling, make the fonts bigger and all that, what they've done is they've hidden features and, and people simply can't find how to do the basic things that they were used to doing. So people are emailing you and saying, I want to do X and I cannot for the life of me figure out what thing I have to tap in, in Helvetica or whatever to go and find it. Yeah, I'll give you an example. Um, when you viewed songs before in the iOS 10 music app, they were listed by title and now they're listed by artist. So if you want to find, I don't know, Bruce Springsteen's in the news with his autobiography. So if you want to find Born to Run, you would scroll to B. But now you've got to go to Bruce Springsteen and then find it among all of Springsteen's music. Um, if you wanted to find, as I often search for, the Grateful Dead's Dark Star, you could easily just find it in the D section. And then you have to go to the G section now, and you've got to scroll through a whole bunch of music to get to it. Now, this is fine if you remember that it's Bruce Springsteen and remember it's The Grateful Dead, but if you've got a song like, I don't know, um, Train in Vain, right, by The Clash, but you don't remember it's by The Clash and you're looking under T for it and you can't find it. And even searching in the iOS music app isn't that obvious. So um, I I've literally gotten 150 emails just about this question alone. 
That's uh, I can see that. I'm, I brought it up while we're talking so I can get the full sensory experience. I don't have an Apple Music subscription uh, anymore. I had one for a bit. I'm actually using uh, Amazon Prime because my music, my need to stream music versus what I have in my library has, has at the moment is reduced. Maybe I'll come back because I want some new music to listen to. Um, but so I'm seeing, you know, I get library and I don't have access to some of the features because I'm not subscribed. I'm still confused about now if I'm an Apple Music subscriber, what is what looks different for me now in the music app like where can i find the things i was trying to use before that were kind of front and center well well, apple music is so so you've got these two layers in the music app and it's the same in itunes um you've got the layer which is your music if you've been syncing music or if you're syncing music to icloud music library um goes into apple's clouds comes down to your iphone ipad and apple tv um, and then you've got the layer of Apple Music, and so so, so the difference is now um, when you, if you're running if you've got it if you've got Apple Music on, and this is in the music settings in iOS, there's a toggle show Apple Music. You see things on the bottom like for you, um, radio, and all that. And so for you is the recommendation section. Um, you get special playlists and, and albums are recommended to you. If you don't have Apple Music on, you're simply seeing your own music that belongs to you. But I'm guessing that what you're looking at right now, you're seeing um, the main library screen, and you probably see a list of words like playlists and artists and albums and songs, but you also see one label that says downloaded music. Now, this is actually confusing because, well, if I'm looking for my albums, would I go to albums? Actually, no. If you're looking for albums that are on your device, you need to go to downloaded songs. And if you're looking for albums that are in the cloud, if you're using Apple Music and iCloud Music Library, then you go to albums. So if you only want to play music you've got locally, you've got to sort through a a different level, the downloaded songs bit. And if you want to look at everything, then you stay at the top level. And this is a bit confusing. The word downloaded makes you think that you have actually pulled it onto your device from the cloud, whereas my iPhone, uh, I don't use it with iCloud Music Library, so all that music is synced, but it's telling me that it's downloaded music. Right. Now, I understand it, but you know, I get questions from all these non-tech-savvy users who are just incredibly confused about things like this. The, the, the words make a different terminology makes a, a very big difference with these things. Wait, you have to tell me this again because I'm listening to what you say. I'm looking at downloaded music. So when I look at downloaded music, I tap it from the main view and it says showing only music on this phone because I don't have Apple Music installed. Does that make a difference if I have or if I have a subscription to Apple Music or not? No, it doesn't. So it, this the, is, the, okay. The, but what you're seeing is, as you as you say, there's that little header showing only music on this phone. Um but then you get a, a, another separate list of playlists, artists, albums, songs, and genres. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's confusing because if you're not using iCloud Music Library, you have this same list at two levels. Right. At the top level and at the second level. <laughs> this is great. Uh, right. And so, let you know, you've explained this before, and I want you to do it again because I think it's still, I get email to, uh, that I sometimes forward to you at, from Mac, uh, the Mac Diamond One address. I think it's actually good. People have figured out to email you about music, which is great. <laughs> so they're going to get an answer. Me, I'm going to be like, well, I'll just send it to Kirk. Uh, so iCloud Music Library, Apple Music, and sort of your local iTunes collection either – uh, downloaded to a phone or stored on a Mac. So there are, there's this interaction. And then there's, of course, uh, a Genius as well. Uh, 
I haven't forgotten what the term is. What is it? Gen- iTunes Genius? No, it's uh, iTunes Match. Do you mean iTunes Match? I'm sorry, iTunes Match. Genius is something else. Piece, right. So yeah. iTunes Match, Apple Music, iCloud Music Library, and locally downloaded music. Has that interaction changed? Because that was confusing the H out of people for a while. And I think you've written a lot about trying to sort out what it means and like that whole situation where uh, someone thought they'd lost their music and uh, Apple had to look into it and it was unclear like exactly what they'd checked because some stuff disappeared and so forth. And I know other people I've run into may not quite a severe situation. So has that interaction, uh, how has that changed if it's changed at all uh, between all those moving parts? Well, Glenn, you and I have both written a lot of computer books, and you'll probably agree with me that if a feature is very, very hard to explain in a book or even an article, (laughs) then there's a problem with it. Um, I'm not going to plug my book, but it just so happens that today I'm updating my iTunes book, which is published by a publisher that you also have books with. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was just doing the section of trying to explain the difference between iCloud Music Library and iTunes Match, literally an hour ago. Um, I've narrowed it down to this. iCloud Music Library has three layers. The first layer is purchase tracks. This is music you bought from the iTunes store. This is, you know, that U2 um, album you got for free, or maybe that U2 digital box set you bought in 2004, or, you know, all the songs, even the free download singles and all that that you bought. That's the first layer. The second layer is music from your personal iTunes library that's been matched or uploaded into the cloud. Um, now, both iCloud Music Library and iTunes Match do this, mm-hmm. um, and they do it in the same way now. Before, around July, they did it in different ways, and that was extremely confusing, but now they do it the same way. The third layer is Apple Music. So if you have an Apple Music subscription, you also have access to all of the Apple Music catalog, which is, I don't know, 30 million tracks or something like that. So your iCloud Music Library contains these three different layers of tracks. If you're using iTunes Match, which still exists, you only get access to your purchased tracks and to your matched or uploaded tracks. Right. Now, Apple Music's $10 a month. That's the basic price, and there's a family price, and there's a student price. iTunes Match is $25 a year. Um, you, If you don't want to pay the $10 a month, but you want the cloud access, then you can still use iTunes Match. I, I think, frankly, it's a bargain at $25 a year. Um, it can store 100,000 songs. Uh, if you are in the Apple ecosystem, it makes your life easier. Remind me one thing there, too. If do I Does uh, uh, iTunes Match, when it uploads my own ripped things that or my own recordings even, let's, let's pretend I'm a musician and I have gigabytes of my own stuff, uh, when it uploads that uh, that isn't matched, uh, do non-matched items count against my iCloud storage total? I can never remember this. No, they don't. So Okay, um, so that's, I'm getting, it's part of my $25 a year. I'm getting the ability to store up to 100,000 tracks, but that could be, they could all be non-matched or something like that. You get 100,000 tracks oh. plus any purchase tracks you bought from the iTunes store. Mm-hmm. Purchase tracks don't count against that 100,000 track limit. Okay. Now, I, I was talking to someone from Apple a couple of months ago, and, and I was asking the question. I, I said to this person, you've got data. What is the average size of an iTunes library? Oh, yeah. And he said around three or 4,000 tracks. That, oh, fascinating. So okay. This, this includes people who are purchasing all their music from the iTunes store. Personally, I have about 4,000 tracks that I bought from the iTunes store over the years, but 
Um, I believe 791 of them were the Bob Dylan digital box set that I bought some years ago. Oh, my gosh. 400, 400 some odd were the YouTube box set that I bought for my son, not for myself. Um, and there are other very large sets of classical music. But it still comes to 4,000 tracks. So that's the average library, and that's just what I've purchased. Um, but those purchases don't count. So you've got you've got uh, 100,000 slots in iCloud Music Library for music that you own. I'm guessing this is the 1% of iTunes users. Right, right. But that's okay. I mean, I think it's it's great to provide limits that are at the... I mean, this is always the thing that gets me about iCloud storage, which we're sort of off to the side talking about with iCloud Music Library, is that they give everybody five gigabytes for free, no matter how many devices you own, how much of the ecosystem you're already paying for, where the 100,000 track limit in iTunes Match is actually pretty great by comparison because Apple knows that people might, I mean, the average person is probably going to use, I would guess, 30 to 50 gigabytes of uh, iCloud storage because of photos and music uh, together. But I imagine that the average, I mean, as you say, the, the utilization for iTunes uh, track storage is going to be very small by comparison on average. Um, well, okay. So yeah, the, oh, yeah, sorry, the, the five gigabyte um, that you point out, I've written about this and, and I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago about um, issues merging Apple IDs. Mm -hmm. And in order to illustrate the article, I took a, pic a screenshot of my Apple devices that are associated with my Apple ID. I have nine Apple devices <laughs> and I have five gigabytes. No, it's, like, it's like, couldn't they at least give us five gigabytes per device? I'm paying for 200 gigabytes. And I like, I accept that even if they'd give me say 50 gigabytes, like I think there's a consensus that people should probably get 50 gigabytes. You know, it seems okay. Or, or maybe it's, you know, the Jason Snell's proposal has been the number of gigabytes on all of your iOS devices combined because, you know, you're trying to back them up or something like that. Because, again, most people are going to use a small amount. And does Apple really need to make $2 a month from people who need a 50-gigabyte account? I'm getting as far afield, but I thought that what you just explained, it was the most – the layers of different things here. That was the most cogent explanation I've ever heard, and I wish there were a flowchart that said it. Um, but let's so well, let's. There's a bullet list in my book. It's yeah, not so a flowchart. So takecontrolbooks.com. We can promote a book. It's you're a contributor to MacWorld, and uh, so you can find Kirk's book there if you need more advice about it. But let's so let's finish up with one more thing, which is um, actually two more things. One is, do you feel the macOS Sierra and iOS 10? I'll ask you both at the same time. <laughs> do you feel the iOS 10 and macOS Sierra improvements uh, are beneficial to users overall or just a new set of confusing? And the other is, I want your top tip for how to help navigate the new systems. So there you go. There's questions one and two. S specific to music. Yeah. Um, I think the iOS 10 music app is extremely confusing, but I'm a lot more positive about the changes to iTunes 12.5. Um, I think they've simplified... Uh, they, they've simplified a lot of terminology, a lot of um, layout that was that was just weird. For instance, uh, there, there's a navigation bar near the top of the iTunes window, and it, it currently says "Library for You Browse Radio Store." Um, Library is your local music. For You is the Apple Music recommendations. If you use Apple Music, Browse is Apple Music's music. Um, radio is iTunes, is Apple Music Radio, and the store is the iTunes store. It's pretty clear. Before, it said My Music instead of Library, and instead of Browse, it said New. Now, New just doesn't make sense because you don't necessarily go to Apple Music for new music. You go to Browse, and it's a lot more logical. There, there's some simplification in terminology. Um, they've de the app 
of a number of features. Um, there used to be two different types of contextual menus. One is mm. what we know as a normal contextual menu. The other that we call a popover. And they've gotten rid of the popover almost all over the place. Um, and these two different menus would have different menu commands. Um, best tip about music. Gee. Yeah, is there something that people are asking and you're just like, oh yeah, here's the way to get out of the, get around this? Well, okay, so, so I, I mentioned the most common question I have is how to sort um, songs in the iOS 10 music app by title. The second most common is how to find the shuffle and repeat buttons in the iOS oh, 10 yeah, music app. yeah. Now, go figure that it's hard to find how to shuffle and repeat. Um, if you're playing music in the iOS 10 music app, when something's playing, there's a little bar at the bottom that shows album artwork and the name of a track, and it's got a play or a pause button and a next button. If you tap that, it expands and fills up the screen, and you get more controls, and you get a timeline, and you get a volume control. But what's not obvious is you can hold that and just swipe it up a little bit. And when you swipe it up, you see the up next cue, which is what's been queued to play next. And you see the shuffle and repeat buttons, I which see are very them. well hidden. I see them. Hooray. It, it's a horrible oh interface gosh. choice because there's nothing to indicate that you can swipe up. Now, if you look at the top of that little, I don't know what we'd call it, that sliding thing, there, there's a, a down pointing arrow at the top that suggests you can slide it down to close it. But there's nothing that suggests that you can slide it up. This is that's an excellent tip. I also note for people who don't realize it, um, Apple changed its AirPlay icon in iOS 10, and I swear I spent a while looking for it, and then I'm like, oh, this uh, thing that looks like a volcano with radio waves coming out of it. Oh, that's it. That's it. Although you can still find the old, uh, like, oh god, I can't remember what it looks like. It was like a uh, arrow. It, it looks like a, a TV screen with a. A triangle holding it up. Yeah, yeah. And so now it's, I think if it's audio only, do they have a difference now? Because this one is, it's a volcano with radio waves or something or mountaintop. Uh, it's like the old RKO logo on top of the world without the uh, abstract, it's just a shape, a triangle. There are two places where you still see the old one. One is I'm looking in control center on my iPhone yeah. and I see AirPlay mirroring. Now it could be, as you say, because it can go to an Apple TV. Um, the second place is if you look in the remote app, um, the remote app hasn't really been updated, and it still uses the same old icon. Um, it's to the right of the volume slider in the remote app when you're viewing a, a playing track. Right. Oh, yeah. This is. I'm sorry. I was stepped away from the mic. Yeah. So this is. That's good. So that's. Well, we got to give people two tips then. So a, if you can't find AirPlay, it's a volcano with radio with circular concentric waves above it, triangle with that. And B, I love this. So so swipe up on the bar at the bottom of Apple Music that shows what's playing. Then you can sl swipe a little further. Swipe up again, and you yeah. can see the controls and what's next. It's, it's a little. It's a little hidden in it. Not quite as observed. It, it's as open it's as a be. lot hidden and. <sighs> What bothers me about this is once you see this, you, you scratch your head and you wonder who were they beta testing with. And, and now I was running the betas of, of these on one of my devices and I filed a number of bug reports about things that didn't make sense that were confusing. Um, anyone who files bug reports knows that most of the time you get a reply that it's a duplicate of an existing bug, so mm -hmm. yours is closed. Um, but th there are some just odd interface choices that really are, that seem to me to be bugs. Um, I'll, I'll give you one other one. This is really interesting. So if you've swiped up and you've got that full playing screen, mm -hmm. right? So you've got a song and you've got play controls and volume thing. Tap in the very bottom left corner, sort of equidistant um, to the ellipsis button on the right. Tap on the left side. 
the left side. Wait, which button? I'm looking the at the bar, the so you're you're in this screen where yeah. you're seeing your album artwork and the and the 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 playhead and the controls and the volume. So, the, so I'm, okay. on the right side you've got the ellipsis menu. Yeah. In the middle you've got the new AirPlay icon. Tap in the bottom left With the, in the white space there. In the oh, I have a cloud icon there. Oh, okay. Well, I don't. This must be something that's in the cloud. So when I tap in this blank white space, I get a dialogue saying, this song has been downloaded to this iPhone. Do you want to delete it from your library or remove the download from this oh, iPhone? It's a hidden delete button. Oh, I see. And if it's not downloaded, then it's it explicitly shows... Then you would have the cloud, yeah. Yeah. Although what's funny is it's I'm on, I'm on gigabit internet, as people listen to this podcast now, and um, it's still not... It, it did the first download part uh, immediately, and now it's just frozen with like, you know, 10% left on the uh, circle. So that's always uh, delightful. Um, well, Kirk, we'll clearly have to get you back to talk about more things. Folks, if you have questions, you can always, you know, Kirk is getting 100 emails a week. So maybe email us, podcast at macworld.com. If you have more iTunes, Apple Music, music-related questions, and we can get Kirk back to talk about, uh, answer some more common uh, issues is, uh, and to help sort this out. So, Kirk, thanks. How do people find you online? Where can they go? You can find me at my website. It's called Kirkville, and the URL is www.macklehern.com. That's M-C-E-L-H-E-A-R-N.com. Um, you can find me at Macworld, of course, and on Twitter, I am at Macklehern. We will find you there. You cannot escape us. We will always find you, Kirk. We cannot escape Glenn on Twitter, that's <laughs> no, for sure. I'm, I'm inescapable. Thanks for being on. Thanks for having me again, Glenn. Well, it was great to get Kirk's insight on what's going on with uh, the music stuff. Um, we'll have to get him back to talk some more because there are so many things, Susie, so many issues, and iTunes is still a dog's lunch, the dog's dinner, the entire sort <laughs> of meal for music a dog. Apple has music DNA. <laughs> it, is, it is the entire meal for a day of a dog, um, and all, maybe all month. Uh, but we'll we'll talk more about that. We're asking, hopefully, as I mentioned in the segment, please, please, listeners, do send us questions because uh, I'd like to know. Uh, but let's get into um, the iPhone 7. So the iPhone 7 Plus has now been out for a few weeks. A bunch of people have their hands in them. And as we talked about in previous episodes, we thought Are they becoming some more available? Could you walk yeah. into a store now and get one finally? Yeah, I don't know if you can do that. Maybe. But people who were told <laughs> – well, people who were told they weren't going to get it till November got it in September, which was yeah. great. So the first orders are all are all out, which is I think wonderful. so. I'm not sure why they thought they were going to be so backlogged. So they did something magical. Maybe they decided Under to. Under promise. Uh, they had stuff on a boat and they flew a helicopter out and lifted a container off in the middle of the ocean and and uh, <laughs> I don't know. Drones. I'm, yeah, I'm just the answer I'm is drones. Thinking of a uh, of a like a, a was it President Ryan scenario? It was a Tom Clancy scenario? <laughs> um, but yeah, so you just did a comprehensive. So we have two, you know, we have two things here. You did a comprehensive uh, review of the phone, kind of a day two thing. Like it was out, you were able to work with it for a while. You weren't kind of, you know, waiting for. Uh, I mean, the, there's. Uh, yeah, the traditionally we've reviewed the regular phone and the Plus phone together. And this um, is a but different beast. I didn't get them at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so and then I I, t I took a little more time with the Plus. Yeah, I didn't so, want to rush it. I wanted to do battery tests, and those take freaking forever. Well, it's true. The batteries are so huge, they're hard to run down. That's been one of my I problems. I didn't even run it all the way down, because now oh with like, low power mode and stuff, I feel like the bottom half of your battery like could vary wildly, so I went from 100 to 50. It's true. Well, so a bunch of flagship things in the new, both new phones, and the cameras are the uh, key feature in the iPhone 7 Plus. So let's, let's start at the top in terms of your feelings. So iPhone 7 Plus, this is the best phone Apple ever made? I think so. I really do. And I haven't been a plus user before. So, and I, I bought the seven and now that I've reviewed the plus, I'm like, Oh, Susie, you moron. You should have bought the plus. I think the plus is, is very, very good. 
I and it's mostly I, because of the camera. I bought a 7 Plus, as you know, so I could do some testing. I was like, this is the future of photography, is my feeling. Like, it's, it's not, so good. It's not the future of all photography, but it is something, as somebody who is interested in photography and technology and Apple, uh, it's the intersection of everything I'm interested in. So I had to buy one. I bought one outright to not get off my plan. My, uh, I still have a 6S. I thought, well, it'll never become my regular phone. And it just sits there. And I'm like, oh, maybe this is going to become my regular phone. So I'll have to go through the whole process of like, I'm going to have to cash out my 6S, pay it off, then find somebody to buy it, sell it, the whole deal. Uh, yeah. But it may be worthwhile. But this, yes, I thought the seven, I thought the plus size was too big for me. Me too. And me maybe too. it is not. Maybe it's not. It's only too big when I have to carry it around. <laughs> it doesn't really fit in my pockets. And I'm more of a pockets person than a purse person. But um, yeah, I've been carrying it, you know, in a bag and in my jacket and stuff because, uh, and so carrying it is is not great. I, I miss my iPhone SE when I'm carrying it, but when I'm using it, I love it. It's so big. It's really fast. Um, it's yeah. I, I I mean, I'm still annoyed. I'm still not really used to the home button. I don't like how it kind of has a kathunk kathunk kind of like lub dub sort of two step kind of click to it instead of just one crisp click like the old clicky button mm-hmm. still haven't gotten used to it after all these weeks and then um you know the headphone jack thing i complained about with the seven so i didn't want to repeat those complaints with the seven plus but you know for the record still not happy that it doesn't have a headphone jack but it's so nice that it's just easier to overlook this time i don't know maybe i'm over it i've, I've been talking for a while about how i'm such a not uh not a complainer about the headphone jacks, never use it. I literally have not plugged anything into the headphone jack on any device that I own that has one for, I think it's been months. I can't think the last time because in a car I've got the, I'm never in a place where I need headphones when I want to listen to something, uh, which is weird. I know. So in the car, I've got a lightning plug that's connected to the USB in my car, in my car. Uh, And at home I'm either using a computer the speakers or I'm using a jam box through Bluetooth. And so I never plug anything in. And I think I'm in like in the 0.01% of people with a phone that I, that I can go months. I mean, literally months without plugging it in. So I am obviously that, so that doesn't bother me. And I got the, you know, I got the adapter. I just have to make sure I not lose it. And I think I only have one set of headphones that I typically use. I have earbuds that I like. So if I just plug it into that, that's where I'm going to find it. And I'll just have to, Remember, I've, but, already, I've lost one adapter, but I have the other one. <laughs> so uh, part, part of Google's shade yesterday, of course, was them trying to burn Apple because like, and we have the old uh, headphone jack. It's like, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. The, hey, the new Google phone isn't waterproof though, is it? Uh, I believe I saw oh, someone said it was not. I don't think they said that it was, so it probably is not. I think it is not. And so did you test? I would have to double check. Did you test the, uh, yes, is not waterproof is what I think we're hearing. It's not waterproof. Yes, I'm looking at the coverage. Uh, did you test, I, I would be too nervous to do this. Did you test the waterproofing? Not really. I probably should. Maybe I should I do a know, separate story but, about the testing the waterproof. Because they say like, it's water resistant, which means it shouldn't die if you get it wet. But don't go getting it wet. Like they, you know, they they definitely recommend against. But th- that was kind of the thing with the, with the original Apple Watch. Like it was, you know, water resistant to a point, but they didn't really advertise it. But Tim Cook was like, I shower in mine. And then other people were like, we go swimming in ours. It's fine. And then the new one, they're like, okay, this one's really waterproof. You can yeah, take it yeah. swimming. But- 
but yeah, like it's, so with the iPhones, they're really encouraging you to not get it wet. And then if you do get it wet, like don't use it, let it totally dry out. Like don't plug it in for five hours. Like it's just, it sounds like it's not a crisis to get it wet, right. but it's still not, you know, a thing that you're going to want to do. So I haven't done it on purpose, although it seems like a lot of people are testing and it's just fine. I, it makes a lot of sense though. It's like they're, they're basically, I mean, it helps them because it makes you more satisfied because yeah. your phone doesn't die. But I'm also, as I recall, if, it, if water penetrates the phone, you're still on the hook. It's not under warranty if the phone's innards get wet. Like it's mm-hmm. it's water resistant, but it's not uh, guaranteed against uh, like to be water resistant, if that makes yeah. sense. So the warranty still says like they have those tabs. I don't know if all listeners know this. The, all smartphones, all phones have a thing inside that basically is a water detector. And mm-hmm. when they open it up, if it's your phone's not working, it kind of changes color. Yeah, yeah it's like and they a can pH. like shine a little light in there and see it. Yeah, and they'll be yeah, like, your what? headphone jack used to be a dead giveaway. Yeah, you used to, bring it you, in and be like, it's just stop working. I don't know. And they're yeah. like, yeah, you got it wet, dummy. Shake, we can uh, tell. Shaking it and water's coming out. Uh, but yeah, so they can they can tell. And there's also been disputes and I think some lawsuits about whether that's actually reliable because any moisture gets in the phone, which can happen in normal operation, you're in a yeah. humid climate. It's that foggy also, here, man. <laughs> yeah, it could set it off, but. Uh, yeah, the home button. I'd like to go back to that for uh, a moment. I know we'll go into uh, speakers and cameras and things, but um, I I think it's funny how I guess the only slight difference is like the headphone jack and the home button got hit upon so much because there's not that much that's different besides the cameras. And um, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Besides the cameras, oh, and the processor, oh, and the P3 color space in the screen, oh, and it's brighter. <laughs> like, okay, maybe there are other yeah, things those are, that are its different. only faults. Like, it has so much going right. for it that you know, like the home button thing. It's it's it doesn't bother easy me that much. I think it bothers it doesn't some bother people. me that much. I'm not used to it. I like the old home button better, but I'm not going to like go back to the 6S just for the home button. Like yeah, that I would go be back absurd. and forth between the 6S and the 7 Plus and it doesn't bother me and I thought it would cuz I didn't I didn't think I'd like it. Um I also holy cow though. Okay, in related to the home button, the amount of wonderful taptic feedback in and both in uh, not as much in Apple stuff. Apple's doing a little third-party apps already like the Pro Camera app and um what else was I using? Is it manual? I think the manual app for manual yeah. photography. When you move, you're like you're doing focus, and it goes bup, 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 as you're sliding it, and it uses bigger and smaller and uh, uh, hits on the taptic filter, and it's so oh my gosh, it is it's so neat to uh, have that physical feedback where it's not kind of like a boom. It's like I'm sorry, it's very loud. Excuse me. It's like a <laughs> it's just like a little tap, but you feel it, so it has this sense of being something real, right? It has a sense that you're doing something legitimate. Yeah. Yeah, and Apple has used it in a few places. Like if you're in settings and you're scrolling through a list, sometimes it'll do like kind of clicks through the list and you'll feel them instead of Mm -hmm. hearing them. Um, And I feel like that doesn't add much. But yeah, sometimes when third-party apps use it, it, it really adds a little something. I'm excited for them to bring that over to the iPad because I think it could be really good over there, Um, especially the big iPads, like the 12.9 inch Pro, if you put the software keyboard on that and close your eyes, you could almost touch type like the the keys are spaced Mm -hmm. all right and if you put your fingers on the home row and type like you know your teacher taught you back in eighth grade, you could maybe do that but it would really help to have 
it feels very odd because you're just tapping, you know, glass that doesn't move. So it would be, I think if they, if they put haptic feedback on the software keyboard on a big iPad, you could, you could type like it was a regular keyboard without looking, which is yeah. really neat. I wondered how much, I mean, there's sort of the specificity, like how many of the sensors they have and where are they, right? So they can do general yeah. stuff, but not specific. But if they could, I mean, this is a thing. Yeah, I don't know if it's advanced enough where they could be like, okay, I'm going to buzz under the A, I'm going to buzz under the J, or if it would be like, if they could just fake it to make it my, you know, trick my brain. Cause a lot of things like that they show you, it's, I mean, like, especially, um, you know, VR and AR and stuff, it's all optical illusions. They figure out like ways to, to trick your eye and then you see it and you're like, yep, good enough. And I think they could maybe do that with the, with the touch haptic engine stuff too. I mean, that's kind of what they're doing with the, with the button. Um, and there's a little uncanny Valley there, but, um, you know, it, it, I feel like in another couple months, I'm going to not care anymore and you guys are all going to laugh at me for having cared in the first place. I, we, I think it's always important to remember and never forget, always remember and never forget that we're at day one at a lot of things. Like that's, I think that's Amazon's motto. It's like it's day one, which is very inspirational. You know, they're still building the future. But I think uh, there's things where technology has reached a plateau. Like battery technology, there's going to be some big changes in the future when chemistry changes but right now it's all incremental so everything like the uh, the plus the seven plus and, and seven their new chip has four cores so it has two like low power cores and you get more battery usage and you get a better so screen smart what's that the, it's so smart so i smart. love it yeah it's close but that's what they did they said we can't get more battery life out of the battery now we can't put more battery in the phone. I mean, we got maybe got a little bit because they got rid of that phone jack. Uh, but what we need to do is we re-engineer the entire processor because that's a more affordable thing. So there's things like that that plateau. But stuff like haptic, uh, haptic, haptic feedback, whatever, that we're still seeing the early days. And we've seen now mm -hmm. like a few generations of refinement. So the notion that maybe in a year or two, I don't know because I don't know the technology well enough. I know how microsensors work and some of the activation stuff. Maybe it's not possible to do, but conceivably you could have a device like an iPad, the you know high end, the iPad Pro, you know third generation could have an array of haptic. Uh, feedback underneath the screen and you actually could have regions or areas. So you tap someplace, maybe it wouldn't be as specific as a keyboard originally, but it'll be close enough or it uses two of them and it makes you feel it kind of body Englishes your finger feeling over uh, mm -hmm. to, you know, in different spaces. So I think we're, there's so much more that could happen there because it just wasn't like uh, the devices weren't small enough and they weren't battery sensitive enough to use. And now, you know, going to keep happening this is like cameras well let's not get to cameras yet we'll get there in just a second because i was going to say cameras are cheap <laughs> enough you can stick to it um but uh the a10 fusion chip you did some benchmarking and we've seen some amazing things like the the uh macbook air 2013 i'm looking at your chart uh scored uh you know slightly better on the iphone 7 plus which is a pretty amazing comparison and the iphone 7 plus you know is more than twice that it's more uh scored on both single and multi-core tests cpu tests twice as well uh much more than twice as well uh than the iphone 6s so that's um that's a pretty huge leap in a very short time too yeah it's a lot faster at everything if you put you know like lightroom on it which is gonna you know it's handling raw images now like it's 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 just getting really advanced it feels more like a pocket computer than before everything is just so responsive and so fast. I've never had an app freeze up on me. I mean, everything just feels so polished and well done when you're running mm -hmm. software. And the software is just getting so impressive. I mean, Apple gave us, when, when, when they give you a reviewer's guide, they give you kind of a little list of like, okay, here are the apps that we think can really show this thing off. 
And there were a lot of like fancy games that I don't really get into. Like, you know, I installed them and ran a few, but I, I stink at those games. But they, they really do look like PlayStation games. Like they've, you know, got all the, the cell shading and the weather effects and the, you know, reflections off the car hoods and stuff. And that's really nice. It's cool that it can graphically handle that. But even if you're not a gamer, just all the little things that you do are so much faster. And then with iOS 10 has kind of really focuses on making, you know, tasks quicker with 3D touch actions and things like that. So Mm -hmm. um, in your widgets, you can get information from an app without having to look at the app. Um, So everything, it just feels like it's just smarter. Um, They haven't nailed the AI part yet, um, but... But the hardware software combination is is really firing on all cylinders here. That is pretty slick, especially with everything they threw at it. And um, all right, so let's is it time to talk about the camera? I want to talk. About I think the so. Yeah, it's the big thing. So. Um, well, and so this is clearly one of the advances you had is that you can have two cameras in a device that you're selling for the same price as a single camera device the year before. I mean, so when you take it, this is this is the thing about Apple's pricing and innovation that I think gets lost sometimes in the the pundits who want to have a new form factor uh, all the time. Like, I, so Apple got a lot of criticism this year, I feel like for releasing a form factor that looked the same as the previous two years models. And then, you know, and this is that TikTok theory that people have talked about a lot. I've written a bit of it too, where like the tick year, they changed the form factor, the talk year, they, they upgrade a lot of the innards. This is another talk year because, and there, you know, there's some ticks, like there's the home button, right? The, the headphone jack being removed, the two cameras, but the, the talks, there's like a bunch of, um, I'm sorry. The, yeah. So the talk year, it's, a. uh, uh all the internal stuff, the processor is so much faster. The um, uh, image, uh, uh, what do you call it? The image s- signal processor, the ISP that handles the camera is something totally new and different because it has to handle uh, two cameras. Um, all of these things are happening inside and uh, it's still the same price as it was a year ago. So in a year space, they're able to change all the internal specs and some hardware specs and still sell it at the same price. And I, I feel like that gets overlooked, not as like, oh, let's praise Apple, but that's part of their strategy is they have price points and in those price points, they stick to them year after year now, uh, no matter what kind of features they stick into the phone. I think it's worth, worth noting, especially here like this. When they announced them, there were some people that were like, oh, they were a little overwhelming. I think my hands on the headline includes the word overwhelming or under, um, underwhelming. Sorry. It's so yeah, big. My headline was like, it's so big. It's, it's awesome. It's kind of underwhelming. Mm-hmm. But once you start using it, you're like, okay, this is, this is really a solid phone. And I think the rumor is that they're going to change next year's phone like so much that maybe, maybe the reason they did like a, you know, kind of a second talk thing now was so they could start making those changes without also changing the design, you know, cause like the, the, they might get rid of the home button completely for just, you know, a, a ring on the screen that, that you would press. Um, and just different different things like that where if they're going to make all those radical changes, it might make sense to, to start rolling them out on a phone that, you know, feels familiar um, when you pick it up. So, yeah, the two cameras thing and, you know, possibly the home button and the headphone jack were, were also part of that roadmap. Yeah. Yeah. Um- 
so yeah, I agree. And I think that's uh, well. Next year, uh, one of the suspicions is it'll be an OLED display, the organic LED display, and it'll be a hundred percent glass display on the front. That there won't be anything mechanical or quasi mechanical on the front. It'll just be all glass, and it'll I mean, it'll involve different design decisions, obviously for des- for uh, developers too, depending on how much of that full screen uh, Apple makes available at different times. Because what if there's no home button and it's virtual? What's going to happen there? All right, so the camera. So I dove into this, um, you know, a bunch of changes, right? So the we talked about some of them before, but we're going to kind of summarize the whole lot here. There's is um, two cameras, two cameras, but and then both the iPhone Seven and Seven Plus get the advantage of a much better wide-angle uh, camera lens. So it's uh, f yeah, the one, default camera is a, is a, what they're calling the wide-angle lens, and it's um, it's a it's a wider aperture, so it lets yeah. in more light. And this is the thing I had to go. You know, I've been. I've been a photographer for 30 more, I don't know, probably since I was maybe 40 years now, I've been taking pictures with something. And, you know, I used to work at Kodak a couple decades ago and I've been, you know, looking all this stuff for years. I had to go, I had to work so hard to find the formula about F stops because it's so confusing. It's not um, linear, uh, but the, uh, the stops are, it's a ratio. And I still don't understand the formula, even though I've seen it because so it's um, not only is it not linear, it's not exponential in a way that you can just, uh, pop in like a uh, you know a figure into a an weird exponent. scale, yeah. Yeah, but what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to provide a relative measure. So when you're looking at two different lenses uh, and two different even um, kinds of things, so I have a 35 millimeter camera and I've got a four millimeter uh, you know camera, which is the uh, the iPhone. Um, I'm sorry, not a four millimeter. I've got a uh, I forget what the actual size of the camera is, like nine millimeters, whatever the one is. I think it's smartphone. four. Well, that's the Isn't that's it four the focal and six point six. Those are the focal oh. lengths, but that's so your thirty-five mil, mil, millimeter camera measures the um, sensor size, right? So oh. the sensor is. So you don't I even know this. Hey, well, so you have to know the sen- you know the sensor, you know the length, and then you can calculate both like the equivalent lens. So we know that the four millimeter lens on the iPhone is equivalent to a twenty-eight millimeter lens at and on a thirty-five millimeter camera because that's the ratio to the sensor size. Okay, so that's one thing, but. The previous iPhone 12 megapixel camera that's on the uh, 6S, uh, 6S Plus, uh, the 9.7 inch iPad, the SE, I think one other model. Is it also on the, uh, I think a similar camera is on the 12.9 inch iPad Pro as well. Uh, that is an F2.2. And this aperture, uh, so that the, uh, this measures the width of the, it's a you know, ratio of the um of the size to the opening. So you can look at two different lenses on two totally different kinds of cameras and you can understand how much light's being let in onto a sensor, right? And a so, smaller number is a bigger aperture yeah, and lets in more light. It's a ratio of that hole. So the the new lens is f1.8. And so you'd say, well, 1.8 to 2.2, it's not a lot, but it's actually uh, it's substantial. It's like 50% more, I think. So when you get up to, or it's, maybe it's even more than that, and you get up to f2.8, which is- I think they is, said 50. I think that's right. Yeah. And if you compare the f2.8 opening of the 6.6 millimeter lens, the telephoto on the iPhone 7 Plus, that's uh, uh, much more than twice as much light being let in by the wide angle than the telephoto. And that makes a big difference when they're being used in concert. Um, but I think just by themselves, just the 7 and the 7 Plus, the basic camera with that much wider aperture, and it also has six lens elements instead of five, which that helps correct more aberration on the edges. So the more, mm. especially over short distances, you know, light comes in, and if you just had one lens, you'd get this this 
good center image, hopefully, if it's good glass. And around the edges, you'd have chromatic aberration where the colors spread. You'd have blurring. You'd have barreling or pin cushing. All there's like I looked up uh, when writing an article recently. Uh, there are like you know 17 kinds of aberrations, and they all can be corrected by different kinds of lenses. So the more lens elements you stack, which you often see in a telephoto lens, uh, which tries to reduce the barrel length so that you don't have a huge, you know, you try to have a 200 millimeter lens could be three feet long, but instead it's, you know, 10 inches or something because they stack all these elements together. Um, but in these really tiny uh, smartphone uh, cameras, it's really extraordinary how many lenses are squeezing in there. And each lens is a correction. It's trying to keep all the light in phase. It's trying to keep all the colors arriving on the sensor at the same time, instead of being spread out and diffused as you get towards the edges. The other thing to remember, of course, is that the lenses are all circular. The sensor is a rectangle. This is one of these hilarious things. So it's sometimes you get different effects at different edges because you're cropping that lens to project uh, the entire lens overshadows the sensor area. So mm. all of these things go into effect um, to make a good uh, camera lens and system. And so having six lenses doesn't automatically mean it's better than five but it will likely mean that you get a sharper image with less, uh, with better detail around the edges. And it's just another improvement. So it's one, it's, it may be much less noticeable. Um, but Susie, you took some photos in some very dark uh, areas and um, that's, uh, oh, and both the seven and the seven plus now both have optical image stabilization on the wide angle lens. So when you shot in a low light area. Is it on the telephoto lens too? It's not on the telephoto lens. Oh. This became a dispute. So that's part, I know this is like, this will get into the I two. I thought it was. And then, yeah, I did an experiment with our photographer where we actually hired a model and he did like a whole fashion shoot with her. Like, cause he's a, he's a fashion guy. He does awesome. this with, you know, an SLR obviously and a bunch of different lenses. And he just kind of tried to see what it could do with the portrait mode, which we couldn't, you know, it's, it's in beta. It wasn't part of the review score. But it's also like it's kind of lurking over this whole thing because the really cool thing about this two element lens and the Apple image system process, image signal processor and the camera app that kind of, you know, intelligently blends data from both of these lenses and makes the decisions for you. Um, it's really fun to experiment with. Like it's, it, it sort of feels like, I know you just did a bunch of um, writing about those add-on lenses that you could stick on to other iPhones and, you know, they'll give you like wide angle and macro and, and um, telephoto and just different kind of effects. And it's so fun to play with those and kind of open up new possibilities. But they were, you know, you could spend several hundred dollars on all of these just to, just to have uh, those experiences. So now it's like both of the cameras are on the phone and it just enables like so much more experimentation and just, just fun times shooting. Like it, it just felt like a whole new experience. I'm with you. I just, I found it exciting to shoot with it. Like, um, I, you know, so I used to shoot with a Canon, uh, was it? I'm printing the number. I think an AES, an AE1 back way, way back in the day. It was my favorite camera. It was very low function. I bought a used one for, I don't know, a hundred bucks at 42nd street photo and took it to Switzerland. And I shot with film on it for years. And then when digital came out and I was, you know, ex expensive to do film photography, I put it aside and I shot with a lot of different digital cameras. Um, I shot with the very first, like literally serial number one of the Kodak DCS 100, uh, at the Kodak teaching center in Maine. It was the very first commercial production digital camera. I've shot with everything in interim, but I'm not a professional photographer. I'm like a serious amateur, sort of a technical professional, not a, uh, you know, a shooting professional. And it wasn't until I bought a mirrorless camera because I could never afford the DSLRs. I could not 
justify to myself spending the $5,000 plus to get one of those cameras plus all the lenses. It just felt beyond my my needs and reach. And then I got a mirrorless for about $1,000, uh, Kodak, or no, sorry, a Sony uh, a Nex 6, uh, that um, the mirrorless are much less expensive. There's fewer moving parts. And um, for 1000 bucks, I got a good kit lens with a, a zoom on it. And I fell in love with photography again. Like it wasn't, I was unhappy with it, but I was like, oh, this feels to me like when I was shooting when I was 20 years old again, it feels to me more like I'm close yeah. to film. And then I have the same reaction. You know, the iPhone has been fine. It's gotten better. And I gotten more and more excited as the cameras have improved. The iPhone seven plus to me again is like, oh, I'm feel like I'm close to that film frame. Like I'm talking to it again, instead of being, having layers of cotton between me and the experience I'm trying to achieve. And I, I think people will, will kind of fall in love. You know, it sounds like an Apple ad. I hate sounding like that, but I'm like, it's I not know. the hardware. It's not the company, but I think people are going to fall in love with this camera system because it is a much more direct experience of, uh, of working with, uh, working with the thing you're trying to take a picture of it, it, less intermediation. Yeah. And having the big yeah. the big screen is awesome too. I mean, having a giant screen and having it make a bunch of choices is great. And then switching to manual mode with a uh, third party app and being able to control each camera is also mm -hmm. exciting. Yeah, the manual app you should definitely check out, um, especially if you have a seven plus. They updated it so you can switch lenses, which I know it sounds like you can switch lenses in the camera app too by hitting that one x two x button above the shutter button. Yes, you can. But as Glenn found <laughs> out, it doesn't. It it does the zoom. It does two x zoom, but it doesn't always just switch to the to telephoto lens and. Um, for a 2x uh, optical zoom effects, sometimes it uses the wide angle lens and puts 2x digital zoom on it. But um, it it does that if it thinks that there's going to be less noise because the 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 telephoto lens can get kind of noisy um, if if there isn't enough light. So it's based on you know conditions and 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 what the camera thinks. Uh, you're going to get the best picture, but there are the manual app will let you kind of force it. Um, so so. Oh. It's also sort of fun. Me. Like mm -hmm. I'm not a camera person, so I've had a lot of fun just experimenting with with the photos app. But then, but then it's kind of cool how you can like I you know I I can see kind of how this works a little bit like w the different results I'll get even though I don't know a ton about you know aperture and sensors and stuff. But then you know these apps can kind of let you level up and teach you more. Like so, manual will let you pick the exact like ISO speed and everything and really try to mimic um, the the changes you would get from um, changing these settings on you know a real camera so that's kind of fun you can kind of learn a little bit about um, what what all these settings would do and and see how changing you know a, a thing here and a thing there is gonna give you a totally different result and I like manual quite a bit for shooting it doesn't do editing if you want to do uh, both shooting and editing in one app and you want to edit on the device pro camera uh, came out almost immediately in the in the version 10. I think it's only five bucks. I think it's five bucks, maybe it's six. Um, and they have some in-app uh, updates you can get for like there's a low light, and, which you probably don't need anymore. I don't know, but they have a low light add-on and uh, an HDR they're working for now with the two cameras. So that's not available yet. It's in their older app for older phones. Uh, but for five, like I say, five or six bucks, I forget which. I should, I should know the answer to that. Uh, they are, yeah, $5, just five bucks. Um, they... Uh, let you access either the the 
version that uh, Apple produces from its sensor or from its uh, signal processor, uh, just as if you're shooting with the camera app. Or you can select either wide or tele in that, and then you can edit a raw, and you can capture raw image, which is the unmodified sensor data, which only third-party apps are capturing now. The camera app only puts out a JPEG from the cameras, mm-hmm. yeah. a, a fused JPEG that you don't know exactly what's going on with it. Uh, so in Pro Camera, you can actually capture raw, you can edit in it, and then you can export uh, 16-bit TIFF, so you can capture the wide color that these cameras have. So, so right, so two cameras, but both the 7 and the 7 Plus have P3 displays, which is this wider color space. So most displays are sRGB, which is not great at the greenest greens and the orangest oranges like Auburn, as we've discussed before, Tim Cook's alma mater. It's better represented. P3 is a bigger, slightly different, but larger color space. So it can show more colors. So the cameras can capture in P3. Then you can look at them. And I have an iPad Pro, the uh, 9.7-inch iPad Pro. So I can also uh, see uh, that's a P3 color space as well. So there's three devices Apple makes now with that. So I I can't take pictures, I believe. I'm trying to remember. I think the iPad Pro camera uh, the 9.7-inch one is still taking uh, using sRGB color space. I might be wrong on that. They may have had it as a hidden feature, but I'm blanking. But so with an iPhone 7 or 7 Plus, you're taking a picture that captures – it. Reco- uh, the, the cameras have always been able to record a greater range than can be represented. Now you have a camera that's designed not just to capture it, but to pass it through the entire pipeline. And iOS 10 was entirely updated. So mm-hmm. it captures a bigger color space. You can view the bigger color space. You can edit the bigger color space in RAW. And then you can export from an app like this into 16-bit TIFF or another format that supports this larger color space than can be represented in 8 bits per channel. And you suddenly have a very different workflow for photographers. You can also just capture RAW, whether in the manual app or pro camera, and um I've talked to like Visco, uh, VSCO, and um, uh, what's the other one? It's uh, uh, Camera Obscura. No, it's Obscura. Is that their yeah, Obscura they've, camera? They've yeah. got a release out. I think it does raw now. Uh, and mm-hmm. Camera Plus. So all the camera app makers are working on this. But you'll be able to, if you want, you don't have to edit on the phone. You'll caps. You'll shoot. You can have that captured as a raw image from one lens or the other. You can't do the synthesized image in raw. So you have to pick a lens in that case get the raw data, get it in that deep color space, and then bring it in and use Lightroom or uh, another app. Or even, you know, for that matter, Photos can edit raw files um, as well. The Photos app can do that in uh, OS X, uh, Mac OS, I should say. Um, so it's this whole new uh, workflow as well. And and I think it's cool that Apple has kind of anointed third-party apps as where you get the advanced features. So they didn't It not is very li- cool. Yeah, so it's not like they disabled them. It's not like they have a proprietary tool or a you know an app that you have to buy from Apple to do it. It's like the camera app, here's my philosophy, Susie. I think this is what they chose. So the camera app will always try to take the best picture by default. Like mm-hmm. that's it. And it's the fastest to launch because you can get there from the lock screen. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, that's your fast shooting everyday like snapshot camera, but it's taking better snapshots than you've ever seen a phone right. so camera if do. A, if you're in a low light condition, so this is the thing. If you're in a low light condition and you tap the 2X button, the camera app is going to say, hey, I know you're going to get a crappy photo in this. It's going to be all noisy and blurry. It's going to be noisy and blurry or both. So instead, I'm going to use the 1X, the the 4-millimeter lens. I'm going to use it and blow it up digitally because most of the time when you're looking at that image, you will not notice the difference because you're not seeing it at a size that lets you see the difference between digital 
and optical zoom. And I think mm-hmm. Apple made the right choice. I, I was talking on uh, Twitter with our colleagues, uh, Matthew Panzerino, who's at uh, TechCrunch, head of TechCrunch, and uh, 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 Ren Caldwell, formerly of Macworld, now at iMore. And uh, they're both camera nuts as well. And I've written extensively about this. So I've been writing and reading their stuff and talking a bit about it and getting their insight because uh, they've, they have slightly different experiences and views than I do. And um, was comparing notes and some things. And it's really, it's definitely the case that like the second lens is an extra for Apple now, but we are all mm-hmm. convinced. And I think this is reasonable that this is the first pass. They released 10.0 and it has, it's leaning heavily on the wide angle lens and the telephoto lens is extra. It gets tapped when needed. And supposedly when you're taking a one X shot and there's enough light, it's supposed to be feeding in detail from the 2X lens. I have done a bunch of tests. I can't see it. So they may not be doing much or any now, but like the middle area should have crisper detail uh, because you can get better detail from the telephoto even at 1X. So our, I'm convinced, and I think Ren and, and Matthew are saying the same things too, that Apple has got dials and it's going to turn them. So 10.1, the beta that's out for developers now, as you described, has the portrait mode that has this fake background bokeh, soft focus or blurred, you know, image, sharp focus foreground thing that's fun to play with. That's in beta. But I think Apple's also going to be messing with its ISP settings. So it's over time, it will lean more on the telephoto than it does now, but it wanted to ensure that people didn't get crummy photos when they released it. You know, they didn't want to push it out there and say, hey, I took a ton of photos and a lot of them look kind of crummy given I've got two cameras and a telephoto. So they're leaning on digital zoom. Um, so the other th- fun thing, I don't know if you've tried this yet, if you're in bright light and you're in 2X, if you cover with a finger the uh, wide-angle lens, the whole image blows out because the telephoto is capturing detail, but it's also capturing only the highlights where it's better, the bright parts of the photo. When mm. you're in that mode, the tele- the wide-angle is capturing all the dark area, and it's combining it in. So when you cover the wide-angle lens, I've taken some photos that look super cool. They look solarized um, because all the darks are gone. All the shadow detail and blacks are gone. Uh, so that's another way we know they're dealing with it right now to improve on even in a place where uh, a narrow aperture lens works fine, they're still bringing in information. Uh, so I think we'll see a lot of changes with that over time. Yeah, I think portrait mode will probably change a lot too. We've been playing with it now. Again, it's in beta. Um, but so Adam and I did this fun experiment with the model and he was, you know, he got all the pictures and and, and really taught me a lot by we sat down and, and examined them all together. And he was like, okay, so clearly they're isolating the face, but if you took a close up of someone's face with an SLR, the whole face wouldn't be in the same kind of focus because parts of your face stick out and other parts <laughs> of your face like recede. And with Apple, they're just isolating the whole face. So as you know, both of her eyes, when her head was tilted, both of her eyes looked like they were in the same plane of focus, oh, even though yeah. they're not in the same plane. Yeah. And then her hair, which was like right next to, you know, like sort of the rear eye was immediately blurred, like right off the side of her face. So, so, and and then he also noticed that when he exported them, um, so the portrait mode, it's really especially fun to play with because there, there's a setting that's on by default, although you can turn it off, that will save the regular photo along with right. the portrait right. depth effect photo. So it's kind of like when you take an HDR photo, like you get two versions isn't that, because isn't you, that you on, might not like the HDR, wait, you know, choices. You might that like on the other by one default? better. I didn't make a setting. And it's it, on by default. On, yeah, yeah, you can turn it off. 
off. Yeah, you can turn it off if you only want one copy because oh, you I don't see. want to fill up your thing. And then, so he exported them, and he was like, "Okay, the portrait photo is half the file size of the big photo." Whoa. So Apple is really doing like a lot of processing on this, and then we're really hoping this isn't in there yet. But again, it's in beta, and they could add it any time. Um, Apple didn't put raw export in the camera app, but we're kind of hoping they make it an option just for the portrait mode ones, but that might not make sense if they're, you know, doing so much processing in the camera, you know, that might not really be conducive to giving you a raw image. But he wanted to, um, part of the experiment was he, you know, he brought his SLR and he took some pictures of the model and all the different situations and lighting conditions and locations that, you know, we, we tried. Um, and then he had a couple pictures, you know, from the same sessions and, and he did some editing. Um, like most of the photos that you're going to see when we publish this are, are unedited, but then at the very end, he does a couple edits. Like he's like, okay, I did some light editing to see like how close I could get it. And he was like, okay, like it's, it's a JPEG and it was, it was, there wasn't quite enough data in there to get a really great edit but he was still able to get some where like we were showing people around the office like okay here's two which one was taken with the mm-hmm, S- they've mm-hmm. been lightly edited which one was taken with the SLR which one was with the iPhone and we fooled people like we fooled one of the camera guys like our video producer we fooled him with one shot so it's just so cool like it's, I don't know it's fun even it's as the, a non-camera person like I'm nerding out over this camera it's the first feature like this that they're going to come out with too and here's the thing so there will never be a raw output for a portrait because yeah. it has to combine the, it has to do real-time calculation but what might happen what Apple isn't doing initially and I misunderstood at the announcement you the, the third-party developers have to pick one lens or another and capture one raw image at a time however mm. the camera is ostensibly capturing shooting with both images or the two cameras are sensibly firing off simultaneously every time. So I'm not even sure if when you pick one, it's not just discarding the other. So at some point, Apple might open to developers the ability to have a live stream of images coming in from both cameras raw. And there's enough throughput with the uh, A10 processor to handle that between the signal processor that, that handles the cameras and that. The thing that would be fascinating is you could capture two different video streams at once conceivably – one wow. in high, you know, one telephoto, one at whatever. You could do HDR work, even though they're at different resolutions. You can still affect the tonal range because you don't need all the detail to do HDR. Um, as simultaneous HDR instead of multiple exposure. Uh, this is done on the the red camera, the high end red cameras. They do this. They actually can capture two streams at the same time and then interleave later to create a HDR stream. Uh, and the uh, the other thing is what a lot of the app developers told me is we don't really know what Apple does in the camera app. They suspect that when you press the shutter, it may actually take several photos. And this may have been true before the two camera apparatus, before iOS 10, that Apple may take a bunch of photos and throw most of them away and pick the best one, not even in burst yeah. mode, just in regular mode. So there's all kinds of magic going in there that the developer's looking for. But you know what? We have gone long, but I appreciate everyone listening. <laughs> Those of you listening this long, uh, go to an Apple store. If you don't have an iPhone 7 Plus, find someone who owns one and shoot with it because it's fun. It's fun. You don't even have to buy one. It's just so enjoyable. Um, but we'll, be, we'll have more. As things come out, we'll talk more about this. And Susie, it's great to talk to you again. Yes, you too. And keep shooting. I'm gonna keep. Sh- I'm gonna keep shooting. I might write a book about this. I'm so excited. I might write a book. We'll see. Um, and I've been. I remain Glenn Fleischman, a longtime, <laughs> longtime amateur photographer, uh, professional technologist, I guess, something like that. And this has been the MacWorld Podcast, uh, which you may realize you were listening to. Uh, this was episode 528 for October 5th, 2016. And you can email us podcast at macworld.com with your questions, 
comments, and photographs. Uh, we'll be back next week, and thank you for listening. <laughs>